sake. And we are live once again. Welcome to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Pradi and this is episode 24 part 11. Yeah, we're done with 10. So if you've joined us right from part 1, then welcome back. If you're joining us right now just for part 11, I recommend you go back and watch uh, listen to the previous parts as well but stay tuned for more uh so in this particular part okay but before we get to that let me try and give you a, let me give the newcomers a brief introduction of how this particular episode is structured so basically throughout the month of january i'll be interviewing a whole load of guests and fans of different clubs across the world and uh, we'll be talking about various topics regarding their clubs and the difference is that they have chosen their own topic i've had minimal to no involvement in that and of course we'll end each part, each part with me asking them what their favorite moments were from 2019 as well as from the past decade so for part 11 we're going to talk once again about liverpool yes i know we've had i think three episodes already or three parts already on liverpool but come on they're world champions you can't get enough of them unless you're a manchester united or everton fan but uh nonetheless i'd like my guest to introduce himself once again he's been on the podcast before but here he is uh rohit would you like to introduce yourself hey guys uh this is yeah my second time on the podcast uh classmate of prady uh it's been a decade now since i uh, you know i last met met him but uh Yeah, we're still in touch. It's the second time we're doing this, like we're saying, and we still love Liverpool. So, yeah, that that's the that's the best part, I think. I mean, obviously, a decades a long time, no matter what. And I think, especially for Liverpool, the way we started off the decade as being almost under administration under Gillette Hicks, with Roy Hodgson coming on as manager, and us almost getting relegated to. I mean, fast forward ten years later, and who'd have thought we world champions? Won the Champions League, won the Super Cup, won the uh, Club World Cup, and I think, and in twenty nineteen twenty, we touch, touching all the wood that I can with the only unbeaten team in the Premier League and in all of the top five leagues. So it, it's, I mean, words can't describe what we feel, but yeah. I will ask Rohit to do that nonetheless. <laughs> no, I think for for me, um, just to give a bit of introduction to how it all started for me, is uh, I actually, as luck may have it, I, the first ever game of football that I watched was Liverpool versus AC Milan in Istanbul. That was literally the first game of football I watched, um, and uh, it just so happened that I uh, was watching it with my dad, and my dad at halftime. Uh, you know, thought, turned around to me and said, "Listen, uh, they're done. Uh, it looks like a one-sided game. Can we watch something else?" And for some reason, inexplicably, I told him, "You know, I, I feel that the game is not done yet. Uh, there may be something that uh, could happen. Let's just watch." Um, and obviously, we all know how that turned out. Liverpool uh, equalized, went on to win on penalties, and. that was pretty much the first game of football i watched and it cemented my admiration love dedication to watching liverpool play only because of the fact that um i admired them on a few levels one is the tenacity to never give up 
to um, uh, the ability to overcome all odds. And the third one was just the number of supporters who actually loved um, watching Liverpool play and supported them no matter what happened. Uh, I think that was the turning point in actually making me like football because before that, I only used to watch uh, tennis and, and cricket. Um, and that actually made me love football for the unpredictability, uh, the, the sheer passion of all the fans and, you know, the beautiful football that we come to love and enjoy. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. But, I mean, you mentioned three really key characteristics of Liverpool that defines Liverpool Football Club. Whether it was 10 years ago, whether it was 15 years ago, whether it's even now. It's tenacity, the, the I mean, never give up. Attitude, never give up attitude or uh, never die attitude and obviously the passion of the fans. I mean, Liverpool is such a football-rich city that each and every fan, no matter even if they support Everton, the city as a whole treats and lives football. I think football comes only second to, or rather Liverpool comes second only to the Beatles in terms of how famous, what Liverpool is famous for. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's definitely. I mean, that that was, I think, one of the reasons even why I sub started supporting Liverpool. Also, it had to do with the style of play that they were at the time under Benitez. It was fast. It was fast paced. It was energetic. I mean, Torres at, in his prime, Gerard just behind him, Xabi Alonso spraying forty yarders. I mean, yeah. how could you not love that club? Uh, but I mean, uh, speak uh, like I said, these three were the defining characteristics of Liverpool. But if you looked at it 10 years ago under Roy Hodgson, you could say that all three were kind of missing, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, look, I've been watching Liverpool since, yeah, like I said, 20, uh, 2005. Uh, that was the first uh, season of Benitez. And um, I had just, I think, uh, if I remember properly, I just entered the 8th grade or 7th grade or something like that. And it continued uh, on to 2008 when I just moved to Dubai. And that was the year that they, I think, if I'm not wrong, they bought Torres or they bought Torres in 20, uh, 2007. Yeah, they, I think they bought him in 20, uh, 2007. Um, and then, you know, that was that took my love to, uh, for, for the club to another level because it was this guy who just came from Spain. It was a club record back then. 24 million was a lot of money. Um, and this guy just, you know, kept scoring worldies, right? It was, it was, it was awesome. And my dedication to the club has always been the same, even from the beginning, where I've never missed a game in the last uh, 15 years now, or 14 years, if you want to count it. Um, and I've never missed a game apart from maybe 10 games. So out of all the games that Liverpool have played, I've probably missed 10. A combination of factors such as exams, travel, you know, stuff like that has made me miss it. But um, there's been a considerable up uh, period of ups and downs. Um, there's been a period where Benitez was really doing very well. Uh, that didn't end so well because obviously he wasn't backed properly by the owners. Uh, fast forward, we had Hobson in 20, 2010, which was pretty much the worst uh, living memory of myself uh, of any team in Liverpool's history, right? If you look at the team squad in <laughs> for Liverpool in 2010, it's, it's shocking. I mean, um, there are these memes that have come out right now. It's all the rage now in 2020 because it's nice to talk about it now. But back then, 
I'm the kind of positive guy who actually takes positives in, in generally every situation. And even then, I used to take positives in the fact that, oh, look, Torres is going off replaced by David Engog. Okay, so that was the kind of fallback that Liverpool had. But the best part of this club is it's been through that situation and it still survived. Yeah, uh, the, the support hasn't always been as strong as it has been uh, now that it, it obviously was then. Uh, a lot of the values were diluted. Uh, things like money were, were more important for the owners, you know, things like that. The, the, the players that they were buying were, were not the best. Uh, vastly inflated British players that didn't really live up to their potential. All of these factors were, were definitely uh, key in uh, alienating a lot of Liverpool fans. And obviously then sacking Hudson, we come to the next era of Kenny Dalglish. And obviously Dalglish was supposed to be a stopgap solution. He came, he steadied the ship. Um, a lot of his buys as well weren't great. But he did buy a certain Luis Suarez for 22 million bucks, um, and at the time, not many players, uh, you know, not many football fans knew about uh, Suarez. Um, but yeah, uh, we all know how that turned out. And my, and no matter what happens, and I, I'll probably be vilified for this for saying this, that yes, if Liverpool win this season, touch wood, I'll be so happy. I'll be, you know, there'll be very few things in life that come close to it. But Liverpool in 2013-2014, second season of Brendan Rodgers, was the best season of football I have ever watched. And it's the most excited I've ever been, uh, just purely because of the fact that this season there's been an expectation. Even in the previous season, there was an expectation because of the fact that Klopp has built the squad, built the team to this extent where you know, the, the players are fantastic, the, the remarkable levels of consistency, all of that. But back in 2013-14, they had a bad budget. You know, they didn't have the players. They didn't have the crowd to support them that you know the way they're doing now. And yet, it was pretty much the most exhilarating period of football I've ever watched by you know from Liverpool. Um, and it, it was it was fantastic. I I watched every game. I was, and it just changed, right? Because City slipped, Liverpool beat them at Anfield 3-2 with a Coutinho strike, uh, with a company mistake. And I, I remember I, I did a, a wheelie in in my house when I watched it. And then obviously with the Gerrard slip, um, it took a while to to get over it. And obviously the next season was a disaster, you know, losing six six one I think to Stoke on the last day. And obviously, that being, being Gerard's uh, last last season uh, in for the club was obviously that that was a bad low point, right? From from almost winning the title to, to losing it so badly after that, losing the plot so badly, uh, buying a whole lot of players who really didn't contribute much to the club. Most of them have left, barring I think Dejan Lovren at this point. Um, I think from there thing that Liverpool have done has been to obviously uh, hire Jurgen Klopp because there are very few managers in world football who you can claim legitimately at this point to be suited to a football club in terms of their character, in terms of the way they manage the, the, the club and the, fan, the, the fact that the fans actually connect to the manager. The fans will always connect to the club. 
by and large, they'll be able to do that. But if they can't connect to the manager, the person who's actually driving the club forward, then you're going to have a bad time. And the, the best example of this is actually mm-hmm. Maurizio Sarri last season for Chelsea. I mean, he obviously got them into top uh, top four. Oh, no, sorry. They won the Europa League under him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They won the Europa League under him. But he was still sacked. So he decided to leave. So obviously, there was something there that never clicked. I think Chelsea no. with yeah. No, I I, I mean I I get it. Sorry to interrupt you slightly, but I mean obviously throughout your whole monologue, I was getting like goosebumps, right? Especially about the 2013-14 season. I mean I agree with you. That was one of the most exhilarating seasons I've ever seen under a Liverpool fan. With yeah. maybe 08-09 coming a little close, but I think 13-14 really got down to the wire, and it was that. I mean obviously it didn't end well, but yeah. certainly. I mean, the type, the football we saw, at least from an attacking perspective, was exhilarating. The fact that we also could concede at any point of time was even more heart I mean, like, uh, like nerve wracking and like heart wrenching in in, yeah. in many ways. Uh, but I mean, I, you mentioned obviously a couple of lot of points. But I, when you mentioned about Kenny Douglas buying a little someone, you know, I was like, my, you know, where my f- first thoughts went to. It wasn't Luis Suarez. It was actually Jordan Henderson for some reason. No, no I, I mean, I, look, uh, I, I, I give it to you, right? Jordan Henderson, for, for a long period of time, has been one of the most criticized, underrated, vilified players in probably Liverpool's history. I'm sure he doesn't get the recognition that he does. Um, and yeah, for sure, I agree. Um, actually, having said that now, on on the on the contrary, now I'd like to actually take back my statement. Uh, Jordan Henderson was probably the, the player I should have mentioned because he's the actual one who lifted Liverpool to a Champions League title, and it wasn't Suarez who actually did it. So yeah, I I take that back. It's Suarez all the uh, sorry Henderson all the way. But is that I mean like like you think about the player that we bought back then, and he was supposed to be obviously the successor to Gerrard. There was a lot of weight on his shoulders, the 20 million pounds from Sunderland, a small lad. And obviously, yes, like you said, criticize and everything. But I think the, the adjective or the, the word that I would, count, would say about Henderson would be doubt, right? Every, Klopp's first words were change doubters to believers. And everyone doubted Jordan Henderson at first, right? Everyone. But then, like, it just shows you what time can do and it actually changed from doubters and now we believe in our captain that he is our captain. Obviously, there are sections of fans who who believe that he isn't good enough and fine, fair enough. He's not the most talented person on the pitch and he's definitely... But again, he has the traits of Liverpool which is never give up, always fight until the end. Like, the passion is there. You've seen him when he wins matches or if he... like. The amount of emotion that he shows, especially against Barcelona, when when we came back in the Champions League final, I mean, it means a lot that for someone like him, who's been criticized, who's been doubted all his life, that he can't take the reins of Gerard, who to actually, I mean, again, we're all touching wood right here, but to do something that Gerard has probably never done in his life uh, in this year. So uh, yeah, I mean, that was one, but. I mean, another key point that you brought up was talking about how, obviously, it's been a while to finally get it right, which was maybe in 2014 where we hired Klopp, which was the, probably the best decision FSG and the board have ever made. But, you know, it's taken, what, from 2010 to 2014, 15 or 15 odd. 
so five years i mean why obviously that's the same thing that you see the likes of arsenal go through right now and united go through but why do you think we kind of got it right before them um i think the problem fundamentally is that okay i i don't want to sound uh very uh, club elitist at this point but i think it it all stems down to the fact that the ownership is different right arsenal fans also do care about the club liverpool fans also do care about the club so if you want to if you were to go and eliminate those factors as a driving point and if you solely were to take the ownership as a club of the club as a as a factor you have it clear in front of you that fsg have experience of having led another team in a similar situation to liverpool which was the which is the boston red sox pretty much from the brink of administration to having won uh, the title right in baseball uh, obviously baseball and football aren't the same but the fundamentals of having uh, you know the the strategy in place having the elements in place for you to actually go and turn around on that scale uh, is is similar the elements are similar and i think the biggest thing that liverpool have ever gotten for themselves is having the right ownership where the ownership is in such a space where they listen to the club they listen to the fans and they're not uh, afraid to kind of admit their mistakes right because when they came in they had this whole thing about uh, you know the transfer committee they wanted to do moneyball um the player acquisition was all over the place they bought british players they bought spanish players they bought undercut they bought over overpriced players so they they were all over the place but that's also because of the fact that they were coming from america they didn't have a lot of experience in football in in england uh but obviously people learned from the mistakes and uh i think they realized where they were making a mistake and since then if you were to give anybody in 2010 fast forward into the future and you were to tell them that look this is what's going to happen in 10 years time are you happy i think people would jump off their seats and say yeah this is the best ownership in the world for for liverpool i think they understand the club well they understand what the fans want and ultimately they want they have the best interests of the club in hand okay no i mean, i think as i mean it's a really comprehensive answer and something i would have expected something i think i would have answered this in a similar way had i been asked the question so i mean thanks for that it was definitely uh well i mean i i completely agree with what you said what you said there so uh, uh okay so fast forward to now klopp coming in and i mean there's been a lot of uh lot of ups lot of downs obviously downs being predominantly in the finals of many yeah. cups yeah uh, but as you said i mean the owners have learned their mistakes i've learned from their mistakes rather and have learned that everything can be done with buying cheap players but who who might still fit a certain algorithm that a transfer committee may have uh whatever uh, come up with but do you think the same thing can be said with klopp i mean klopp was in dortmund and even at the early early start at liverpool was a similar kind of in a similar mold where he wanted to buy young players very young players and then try to develop them but he felt that 
if he were if i mean there's obviously a lot of time for development but if he w- was to be successful in liverpool that he has to change his viewpoint slightly that the like lewandowski the likes of those uh, um, uh, rock were not were not going to be there again for that kind of price which is like peanuts at that point and also given that the transfer market had changed completely since the uh, transfer of neymar and everything that he has also had to change his viewpoint and say like listen i mean these are the players that i want and i think i mean just because the asking price is above 50 million i can't say no to that because his earlier season i think all of his players even sadio mane was only 35 million and all of his players were relatively cheap uh, i think it was gruhek and i, I mean i'm i'm ragnar klava and joel matter was free yeah. so all uh, these guys were uh, like carries too yeah yeah so i mean so would you kind of agree with the statement that even klopp has had to learn from his mistakes or kind of had to change his viewpoint and say like hang on i mean we are not going anywhere with this we need the best center back out there so let me go get 75 let me pay 75 million for virgil van dijk or let me pay 65 million for alisson because loris carius is quite shit but yeah so what are your thoughts on that for sure i mean uh, look when when klopp first gave his interview his first ever interview for the club uh, he talked about heavy metal football right and heavy metal football for jurgen klopp was essentially high pressing relentless work rate non stop running um and then you know end to end football um and then you know for the first couple of seasons and even last season to uh, no actually no sorry my mistake uh, up to the point of jan 2017 Um, yes, yes. This was an issue, right? Before Virgil van Dijk, where eighteen yes, January? Yeah. No, wait, Sorry, January, January seventeen. No, wait, eighteen, eighteen, January eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighteen, yeah. So that's the year that uh, that's the month in which uh, Virgil van Dijk was acquired from Southampton, and for that, all the way from two thousand fourteen to two thousand eighteen, Jan. Essentially, Jurgen Klopp's playing style, if you look at it from the start, was heavy metal football. relentless pressing end to end football uh and with very little emphasis on actually correcting the lot of defensive errors right and it was one of the, the fundamental reasons where we lost a lot of uh you know points along the way because no matter how many goals they scored in front they were always conceded similar to how brendan rodgers was so from that to now playing style has ad- uh, been adapted if you look at a lot of the games this season and last season Liverpool attack a lot of the times in breaks, right? They don't attack all the way. They don't attack 90 minutes uh, a game. They do it in spurts. They hit the opponent hard, and they're happy to sit back after the goal has been scored with a bit of a you know a buffer with one or two goals in, in between the two sides. They're happy. They say, "Okay, we're done. Chill. We call it a day." Because of the fact that I think he's realized that unlike in Germany. Uh, the playing style in England, the the calendar fixtures in England, the the Premier League fixture pileup is so bad that there's no way with the squad depth that he likes to keep, which is not like Guardiola or any of the other you know bigger teams like to keep their squad really big. Top squads have always been on the on the on the smaller side because he prefers working with a smaller set of people uh, and have you know youngsters to complement the squad rather than having. A bigger squad of big players, then you have egos coming into play and all of that stuff. So he realized probably 
uh, you know, at some point I can't probably pinpoint at which point, but I think he realized that in order for him to make use of his resources the best he can, he needs to adapt his playing style. So that's the first one. Two, uh, I think what he's also realized is after those finals, that in order for him to maximize the amount of trophies he'd win in the uh, in the in the contract period that he was uh, with Liverpool, obviously now he has signed the contract. But before that, he would have to sign the very best to fill not all the positions, but fill the core positions. So if you look at the the positions that he has spent the most money on, uh, it's it's literally goalkeeper, centre back, uh, midfield, centre mid, and striker. Which is essentially uh, Allison, Virgil van Dijk, Abiketa, and Mo Salah. These are literally core players who've been signed for 150, 200 million uh, quid, and they immediately take Liverpool from a really good team to pretty much the world's best, right? And I think FSG has to be given credit in this manner. Also because of the fact that they realized that, look, yeah, Moneyball will take you some places. You'll always be there, um, not for all of this kind of stuff. But you will never win a title if you don't actually push your, your purse forward. You don't open up your purse and buy the very best. For the positions that you feel, you absolutely have to do it. Right. So goalkeeper, it starts always from the back. So there's this famous saying in football. Start from the back and you build to the front. The attack will follow because the best form of attack is defense. Right? So FSG has to be credited there. And the last person, I think, who could also be attributed to Klopp's success is Michael Edwards. A lot of people mm-hmm. actually don't talk about Michael Edwards and he's, he's this per- person who has like mythical nature in, uh, you know, in Liverpool. It's uh, essentially this guy who has been brought in He's a sporting director, and this guy used to be, you know, head of analytics in, in Liverpool and all of that. And in the world of football, people, traditionalists, often scoff and make fun of, uh, you know, uh, analytics, data, statistics, and they say that sometimes numbers don't say everything. But in this modern world of football, Michael Edwards is, is the literal person who embodies what numbers have to offer a club. Just look at the people he has brought in. And for me, he is right up there with Jurgen Klopp as being the most important person at which you know who has transformed Liverpool. Reasons are pretty much there to follow to, to see. The players that have been brought in since he has come into the club, Jimmy Wijnaldum, Roger Van Dyke, Alisson, selling Philip Coutinho. Selling Dominic Solanke for 20 million and he scored no goals. Selling Jordan I for 18 million to Southampton, he scored no goals. Bournemouth. Yeah, to Bournemouth, yeah, sorry. Uh, and, you know, no goals. Um, and all of these buys and all of these sells have been, the sells especially have been hard sells, right? Coutinho was sold for 142 million, which is essentially how much they paid for Alisson. Uh, and uh, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. He spent 50 million to get Nabi Keita, 
But then he said, okay, we don't want to pay too much of a premium more than this. We don't want to be in your bad books. Keep him for a season, let him play, and we get you back the next season. And all his buys, Takumi Minamino, has been bought at 7.5 million. It's, it's crazy to see what kind of value these guys are generating. Lee Robertson, 8.5 million. I mean, in a world where people are paying 50 million for Aaron Juan Bisaka, I won't name the club. <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, yeah, so uh, in, 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 a, in an age where they're doing that, just because he's young, British. So within yeah. two seasons, an 8.5 relegated left-back who, is, who used to play in Scotland and moved to, uh, to, to Hull City and got relegated to Liverpool. He doesn't play pretty much the, the first half of the uh, season when he joined Liverpool because of Alberto uh, Moreno. He comes in and then he makes the position his own and within two seasons he's winning the Champions League. And right now in his third season for Liverpool, he's pretty much the world's best left-back. It's, it, 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 it defies expectation because you see clubs spending 300 million on Neymar and 50 million on players like Fred and, and ridiculous sums of money being thrown around for players who rightfully are bang average, right? And in the olden days, this would never have happened. Because of the fact that right now all the clubs that are selling have bargaining power, it's very refreshing when a club buys a player for less than 20 million and it turns out to be a success. Because not too long ago, 24 million for Fernando Torres was supposed to be a very expensive buy, and now it's considered to be shit. If I got Torres at 24 mil coming in his debut season for Liverpool, I would be. Bloody happy, right? I mean, we'd be so happy. We'd give every everything for it. So I think um, Michael Edwards and his data data team have literally unlocked not the perfect because nothing in this world's perfect, but a near perfect solution to finding the best players, the best prices, uh, which can give you the value for money. And if you just go back and literally do a catalog of players that have been bought under Klopp and an Edwards partnership, every single player that has been bought has been a success, barring perhaps Naby Keita, because of the fact that unfortunately he's been blighted with injury. You paid a lot of money for him at 50 million, but he's only 24 years old. He has at least five years left to prove himself. They almost sold Jordan Henderson in a swap deal to to Fulham to get back Clint Dempsey, right? So worse things can happen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm so glad someone finally spoke about Michael Edwards. I was hoping that some Liverpool fan mentioned him because he's been such an influential figure behind the scenes. And you spoke about the analytics, and I mean, I think that there's some there's a PhD guys who worked with NASA and these like really high tech guys who now come into Liverpool setup and who are working behind the scenes. And even more so, it's like. Edwards is a guy who push who's pushed Klopp to get these some of these players. Like Mo Salah wasn't on Klopp's radar until Edwards said, "Go and buy him. He fits your yeah. model. He fits what you want. Go buy him." And I think you you I think you forgot one player who I think for me was Michael Edwards' best business in terms of how quick it was, and that was Fabinho. No one expected after we lost to Real Madrid from Champions League yeah. that I think a couple of days later you would announce a player in the light in the ilk of. 
Fabinho. I mean, he one of the one of the best center defensive mids in the world right now, and at that point, at Monaco, a promising player. So, obviously, linked to Manchester United for a long time. So, yeah, it was, no, I, it was I, fun. I completely, I completely agree. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if a club can have two varying sets of fees, where one they're buying undervalued players who nobody wants. Uh, and then they turn out to be world beaters, and at the other end, they're happy to spend big sums of money for players they feel are the world's best already. Then why not, right? Rather than paying big bucks for average players, why don't you do this system? And I'm happy with it. And at the end of the day, the fact that they're buying players like Minamino, it only goes to show that yes, it's it's a twofold strategy where one, they're actively concerned about buying. Finding alternatives for the players that they already have, because I think I read in this article that obviously FSG, Klopp, and Edwards know that this group may not last beyond this season, right? So because this season is on the course, hopefully Touchwood, barring everything else uh, going okay, it's going to be special. But after the season, I think all the people in Liverpool are resigned to the fact that there will be a bit of transition. Where a lot of the players would have already won everything that they would have been able to win at Liverpool, and there is a chance that they may move on. Yeah. So there is an active effort on their part to actually kind of source the replacement. So apparently Minamino was supposed to be the replacement for Firmino. Fabinho has just come in. Rich is is there in the in the in the pipeline. Like, yeah. yeah. So Harry Wilson, you know, all, all these players are there. They are actively doing something. And I think the last factor that we are yet to cover is um, how actually the fans were reintegrated into the system. Mm-hmm. Where there was a particular game, and I'll never forget this, where Liverpool were playing at home to West Brom. Yeah. And, and they were losing. They were trailing 1-0. And I think they equalized last minute or like a few minutes before or something like that. Right? They fought back from they came back from behind and they equalized. And they drew the game one one. And this was in Klopp's first season. And before they lost the final two, the uh, in the Europa League uh, final. Right? Yeah. And so Klopp gave this uh, whole speech about the fact that he felt really alone uh, because of the fact that he saw Supporters leaving the club, uh, uh, the stadium, sorry, uh, even before the game was up because they felt that Liverpool would have no chance to come back, right? And that was the situation that the fans were in because they were so fed up of Liverpool being mediocre for so many years that they literally didn't care. They would just leave. Um, what he did was kind of reconnect the city, the club, and the fans in one. He kind of made it almost a sin or a crime for anybody to leave before the game is up, even if Liverpool were losing 4-0. And the biggest example of this was Barcelona. I mean, Liverpool versus Barcelona at Anfield, right? I mean, that is probably the greatest comeback I mean, I've ever seen. Even more than yeah. this time, right? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I get your point. I mean, that whole the the one where he's holding every player's hands and walking up to the fans, which became such a 
meme at that point and a banter thing to say like haha you look at your manager celebrating a draw and all of that to west brom at home but uh, you look ten, uh, four years later on and you can see the fruits of that being like born and like kind of uh, being reaped rather sorry because you see the barcelona thing and you see that picture where they all huddling singing you'll never walk alone and the fans are right in front of them and that picture is mad it's like so good and it, it kind of like like it kind of you can show it back to the people who made fun of it and said where's your club where your club doesn't do stuff like that right now so look at where you are so yeah exactly uh, okay so uh all right uh, so let's let me get to the final few questions of this podcast so let me ask you what was your favorite moment from 2019 as a liverpool fan obviously winning the winning the champions league actually no no even more than winning the champions league it was actually just beating barcelona because to be very frank with you i would have rather lost barcelona uh, sorry to tottenham than to have lost to barcelona and seeing their smug faces on the tv in on facebook and you know uh on on uh, instagram like the following day so i would have rather lost taken our chances against Tottenham and even if they lost it's fine Tottenham are not the kind of going to say ah Liverpool are this Liverpool are that it's fine it's a good game they won it uh, it's fine fair and square but the smugness of the Barcelona fans was just too much i was so happy it was just absolutely brilliant right i couldn't stop smiling whole day when Liverpool won against Barcelona i mean that was single-handedly the best moment of 2019 for sure for a Liverpool fan for me Yeah I mean I definitely for, for me I I don't know I obviously yes Barcelona was the best match but for me I just had that thing like finally got over the line uh but in terms of emotion and like pure adrenaline rush and passion and everything the Barcelona you can't beat the Barcelona game uh, that you can't uh all right and what was your not so favorite moment from 2019 um I think it would probably be uh in the time when uh 2019 hold on let me actually have very few bad memories from 2019 but i guess the the thing that really just me off or made me annoyed uh everything after working so hard and having an almost near perfect season liverpool finished one point off city when the was watching the final game and I didn't bother about Liverpool's game to be honest I I I was watching just watching it casually on the side but I was focused 1-0 down I said okay this might just actually happen and then obviously they they won the game or I think they drew the game I can't remember but um yeah so when that happened I thought you know okay the whole season deserved a lot more than this but yeah that I think that was the the point where we It was it was there within the our grasp kind of couldn't just convert it across the line okay fair enough i yeah i think the general consensus among all liverpool fans is either the city game that you lost or the fact that we drew a few too many so and that's why we ended up one point behind but yeah i think uh, that's kind of nitpicking in a way because it was like you said a near perfect season and yeah. that was just probably just falling short but I mean, hopefully look, 97 points right in any other <laughs> season that is insane 
and uh, what was your favorite moment from the entire decade the entire decade is a bit tough right um i have a few okay in terms of i mean in terms of sure uh, i can i can name three uh, oh, sorry four out of the top of my head uh, but yeah four and these i think will never never go uh, one is obviously um liverpool beating city 3-2 uh, 2013 14 when coutinho scored that goal that's the first one uh, the second one is when uh, uh liverpool beat borussia dortmund uh, on on that on on that night where jan lovren went and scored that crazy goal yeah uh, that was the second third one was obviously beating barcelona and the fourth was winning the champions league final Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah, I guess I'd have to agree with all of that. I think those were quite defining moments of this decade if you were a Liverpool fan. I think I mean, obviously when I was asked a question, I said hiring Klopp. Uh, I think I just felt that that was the most defining moment in terms of I felt that that was like it. I mean, we got it right finally. Yeah. Uh uh but yeah, I think I'm those sorry, four I moments agree. you Yeah, you you can't argue with those four. But uh, and what was your not so favorite moment from the decade? I mean, there there have been a few. Uh, the the worst one was probably I can't remember which date or time, but it was it was in that they were literally saying that Liverpool Football Club would go under administration in two weeks if they weren't able okay. to find a buyer and all the players would be sold. Um, and Hudson was on the brink. And you know that at that point, and I think uh, the the starting eleven was something like this, where it was Peter Gulaxi or Brad Jones starting in goal, and then Paul Konchesky, uh, Kiriakos, uh, probably even Agger or Skirtle, and then a Glenn Johnson or something like that, and um, you know that that kind of lineup, and it was shocking. Like that, in addition to being an administration, you know, at the time. didn't feel it was that bad um but now looking back at it that is single-handedly the worst moment i've ever seen liverpool's uh, football club be in um, there's yeah, nothing worse than that yeah i i completely agree uh all right so i guess that's all the time we have for this episode thanks for being a part of this podcast it was a pleasure That's having right, you right. and uh, we'll definitely catch up for more liverpool and uh, football content in the near future uh, hopefully by march april everything should be settled and we can finally discuss the things we don't want to discuss right now uh, yeah for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> all right yeah so thanks again for tuning in to those of you who've been here from part 1 and those of you who've just joined us uh, thanks for staying on and uh, obviously to those of you who've just joined us i'd recommend you go back and listen to the other parts obviously different clubs so you'd get different perspectives from different fans and we'll put out more content in the next coming days like i said the entire jan will have a lot more content because i want to talk to as many fans during this entire month but uh until then so don't forget to leave a like drop in a comment share with friends and family subscribe to the podcast channel and you can also follow us on twitter So that's it for episode 24 part 11 I'm your host Pradi once again and see you